Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey, I'm your host, and joining me for this incredible interview we have coming up, Mel, our co-host. Mel, it's so great to see you. Same, same. <laughs> Mel, we have an interview with a gal named Joanna Denstadt, and she uh, is a cancer survivor. And so out of this, she has started a ministry that helps to equip caretakers of, of cancer patients. Very mm. interesting, I mean, very like intriguing and powerful niche ministry that she's doing. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think that um, it's something I would have thought of, but I'm sure that walking through cancer like she has, yeah. she's probably seen a major need for this ministry and she filled the need. Yep. And she talks about that in this story and how she came about, you know, recognizing that this was a major need. And you're right. I think one of the things that I think is really important to underscore is that when we see a need, oftentimes we've been given eyes to see that need so that we can meet that need. Mm-hmm. I think so often in the church, we are guilty of saying, you know, as, as Christians, we're so guilty of saying, wow, someone needs to help that person. And then we don't do anything about that. But I believe that God shows you that need so that you can be a part of the solution to that need. Yeah. And, um, and so I want to talk a little bit about that today because there's probably somebody in your life, if you're not you know, currently walking through something very difficult and you're just listening to this, you probably know somebody who's walking through something difficult or maybe just in the yeah, past week sure. you have a friend who has just like had some uh, news of a, 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 you know, they're getting divorced or they're, you know, just lost a loved one or something and they're in need. And mm-hmm. we want to just kind of equip you with ways that you can help them in their need. Yeah. So, few ideas, yeah, Mel? I do. Well, I, I have to say, I there's a woman that goes to our church, and I've actually shared this on um, a podcast before, but she has cancer. She had cancer. She's in remission right now. And um, last November, when um, our daughter Sadie was in the hospital, uh, it was on Thanksgiving, and she came and brought us food. And um, she, was, she was finishing up chemo, and she actually had just wow. had a newborn. And so to me, wow. that really shook me to my core, that there's, it, there's really no reason you hmm. can't serve or That's meet right. a need when you see it. Um, for her, she's, she set the precedent for me. And that so, is so good. Um, I think wow. for sure food. Um, bringing mm-hmm. somebody food, um, I think offering to clean their house or do their laundry or watch their kids, any of those yeah. practical needs that they might not have the energy or the strength mentally or physically yeah. to do. Yeah. And in those, these situations, things can start piling up. And I, you know, personally, when we were walking through something difficult um, with losing Amanda, uh, there there was an element at which clutter helped, created complication and chaos Mm -hmm. within my ability to grieve. And so being able to help that person, you know, come in and eliminate some of that clutter by cleaning or doing dishes or doing laundry or any of those things that just in normal life pile up, that's just such a great way to practically help someone. And typically, now this is not always the case, but typically someone's not, you know, that's someone that's walking through a difficult 
time. They're not going to contest you on that. They're not going to be like, stop. I want you to, you know, it actually is going to feel like a blessing to them most of the time. Now there are some personalities that they don't want that. And that's fine. That's why we have to be sensitive and empathetic to making sure that we're, you know, understanding what the actual need is. But I think those are really great. What you mentioned. I think it's important too that you don't ask the person that you want to help how that you can help them because I think that they probably don't even have the mental capacity to figure out what that is. It's like all the things, I don't know, mm-hmm. just pick something, just help me and just tell me that you're going to do it and I'll probably be okay with it. But yeah. I think another thought that I had, Davey, was um, to use the gifts that God has God has given you and different skills or strengths that you have, use it to serve. And so um, I know, I I think this was like 10 years ago, but um, there was a woman, she was very, she was a close friend of our families and her husband um, was really sick. And my, she called my dad one day and she's like, I don't even know how to pay our bills. Like he Mm. always paid our bills. And so my dad um, helped her, he first he paid the bills, but then he taught her how to pay the bills. And to me, that just really stuck out is um, using something that is very natural and he's gifted in to bless others who didn't. That's so good. What a great, that's a fantastic suggestion. I also think that, uh, and I'll go back and reference what you said about food. I think food is a great thing. You bring meals to somebody, but I would suggest doing that through an organized meal train rather than just kind of showing up at someone's house because if they if they receive too much food, then you've got a lot of food that ends up again building up clutter in a refrigerator. Mm-hmm. They're not able to eat all of it. It goes bad, then that creates more work. And so, I would suggest maybe someone in your small group organizing a meal train, and that way that it can be kind of you know according to a particular schedule for that person. And that person's kind of the the coordinator with the you know the one who's going through a difficult time. I think another great thing to do is. Um, babysitting if they have kids, whether Mm -hmm. it mean you babysit them at your place or you come over and give them some reprieve for a little bit, or you're going with them to something, you know, let's say for instance, a uh, there's a there's a widow in your life and they and she has young kids that she takes to soccer practice or to, you know, just going and kind of helping out there to (laughs) corral the kids, um, you know, because she used to have a partner, used to have Mm -hmm. someone that would help with that. Now she doesn't. And so just being and plus it gives you an opportunity to have rich conversation and she doesn't feel alone. And so that, that's a fantastic way to just meet a tangible need. Um, I think I was going to say gift cards. I'm actually really terrible at using gift cards. My husband mocks (laughs) me frequently, but, um, target gas cards to get to and from appointments, grocery stores, restaurants, like how you mentioned food, like, like for our family, we're pretty much gluten and dairy free. And so some people feel a little intimidated by that. But if you send me a Chipotle gift card, I'll love you forever. (laughs) You can't go wrong with gift cards, I think. And and even like some of these, like, like GoFundMes or, you know, money, like, Anything with that kind of a, a dollar value just is really helpful to people who are going through difficult times because they may not, they may need it later. They may not need mm-hmm. it right now, but they may need it later and then they can pull it out, access it when they actually need it. Um, and it's not perishable, you know, they're right. able to continue to use it. Also, some of you guys have, you, you have tremendous means. And I think one of the most valuable things for our family is that someone reached out to us and gave us a free stay for a week at a, um, at this beautiful, Brand, le- brand brand newly, that's I guess the right word is, brand <laughs> newly built uh, house on the beach in Seaside, Florida. Oh, wow. And it was just a great time for our family to go and connect and um, just kind of grieve a little bit together, have some fun. 
and, and so there are some of you guys who have tremendous means and you can bless people in that mm-hmm. kind of a capacity. That's huge. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, I know recently we just got a hotel for a lady um, in our church uh, who her husband, she was going back and forth 45 minutes to the hospital to be with her husband during all of his surgeries. And so we were like, Hey, why don't you just stay in the city, you know, stay till midnight, get, get some sleep, get a shower, and then, you know, go back the next day. So that's so great. Finally, Mel, I don't think we can underestimate the power of a written card, a handwritten Mm -hmm. card. I'm going to tell you right now, I have every one of the handwritten cards that were sent to me after Amanda passed, I still have them saved because it's oh, so wow. nice to pull out, just hear people's personal encouragement. So that's always so great to just, just take some time, write a card to that person, send it in the mail. It means a lot. I so, love that so much. Well, speaking of um, written things, do you see what I did right there, Mel? I did. See that I transition did. right there? Someone, <laughs> many of you guys have written in some reviews on the podcast. Mel, I think you have one of those to read. Yeah, I do. This one's called Movement. And it says, after many years of my early 20s passing by in a mass array of self-indulgence, this podcast has been more than a gift from God. Life the past year to year and a half has been so revealing and strengthening in my faith. I finally feel what my mom had been saying about Jesus and how wonderful he really is. And this podcast just screams that in so many ways. I just recently discovered this podcast this month and have been diving in daily to its episodes. We like that you've been binge listening, by the way. <laughs> I, I've had to listen to a few of the interviews already twice just to try and grasp, note take, everything God is speaking through Davy and his guests. I strongly, strongly urge anyone and everyone to just open up and press play. Thank you. Nothing is wasted. Davy and Mel, this podcast is such an amazing mm. ministry. Wow, that's awesome. Man, thank you so much for that review. And um, and if you guys want to join a little bit more of an intimate community, we've got an opportunity for you to do that. And that is through our trip to Israel. Yes. October 2020. You can go to nothingiswasted.com slash Israel and you can find out information about that. But we still have a few spots left. So make sure you lock yours in. Uh, I would love for you to come to Israel with us. And uh, it's so great to hear from afar what God is doing in your life through this podcast. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. Christy and I would love to just be able to have some time with you in the best place on earth, the Holy (laughs) Land where Jesus walked. So I thought you were going to say Disney World. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I would argue that Israel is way better than Disney World. Okay, well, we'll see. Um, no. Um, and also, if you um, are following us on Instagram, check us out at Nothing yeah. is Wasted Ministries. Um, we uh, are always doing all kinds of fun stuff over there and sharing people's stories. You don't want to miss out. So let's listen to Davy's conversation with Joanna. Joanna, so good to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's an honor to talk to you. It was so great to talk to you a few weeks ago, the first time that we touched base. And um, I remember getting your email and just being completely impacted by your story, not just your story, but how you've turned it around into ministry. And so before we dive into your story, why don't you tell us a little bit about your family? Uh, Where do you guys live? What's a little bit, what does your family look like? What do you guys do? Okay. Um, Yeah, I have lots of different little arms to my family and to what I do. So I guess first I'm a wife to Kevin. Um, We met at Messiah College, both 
playing college sports and we got married quickly after school and have landed here in central Pennsylvania outside of Harrisburg. Um, and he has a job in sales and we have four little kids. I, we have three girls, 12, 10 and eight. And then our little bookend baby boy that my husband's super thankful for. <laughs> I was going to say that must've been a day of celebration when he finally. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it was. We never there. found out what any of them were. And I will never forget the day that that little boy arrived in oh, our family. Man. So definitely well, a gift. Props to him for three girls. Holy cow. Yeah. We're about to enter those really fun years with, we'll have a 17, 15 and 13 year old. And that day will come. Man, everybody keep Joanna and her family in your prayers <laughs> in the next couple of years. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, also, we both coach lacrosse. My husband coaches at Messiah. Okay. Um, he's an assistant for the men's team. And I, started a team at a local high school here and I coach a high school girls lacrosse team. So that's, we always say is our first sort of love. I don't know how we will ever get away from it, but at some point we will have to because life gets busy and we have kids that do things now. Um, Now, is that the sport that both of you guys played too? Yep. We both played lacrosse. I played field hockey also. Okay. Very cool. So, Yep. Um, That takes up a lot of our time. We're just finishing that spring season for both of those. And I feel like free as a bird. It's amazing. I have like an extra couple hours every day. Have your, have your girls gotten into it yet? They have. Um, we're really hoping and one of, we're banking on somebody, somebody's going to do it, right? (laughs) Somebody's going to have to earn that scholarship and, and sign that contract to (laughs) to fund the family. (laughs) Yes. So, and then I also run a ministry out of my home called Radiant Hope that started a couple years ago. So Mm. We're on the newer edges of it, but it fills my days. This was my first year that I sent all my kids to school all day. So we've kind of ventured into this new kind of work and God's timing is kind of perfect. And husband works at home too. So we both share this room with our desks back to back and we work during the day. And then we start day number two at three o'clock when we go get our four (laughs) kids. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. What a sweet season, too, to send the kids off to school and realize you probably found that you had a lot more time in the day to yeah. to begin or continue this ministry that yeah. you're doing. And I love the ministry that you're doing. It's a, I think that's one of the things that stuck out to me when you wrote in. Um, it's this ministry specific to families who have been impacted in some way w- from cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comes out of your own story, your own experience. Why don't you back up? And begin to just tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah. Um, gosh, I, I was just thinking, how do you sum up like 38 years of a life in a podcast? Mm. Because I do really fully believe that the my cancer story was being prepared and for me my whole entire life from the mm. very beginning. And I can go back to friends that I had in third grade that played a role in my cancer story 35 years later. Um, wow. So it's hard to articulate the whole journey and I'll try to pick out some pieces and, um, and just, I always like to say before I start talking and share of this journey that I've been on, that God has done a work mm. um, and that it's really his story he's been writing, not mine. I just yeah. was the chosen one to be mm. the vessel to display his works for everybody to see. Um, mm. Wow. So, yeah, I I guess to rewind a little bit, like I said, um, 
my husband and I both went to Messiah. We both are not from here. So I traveled out to central Pennsylvania from St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up um, and was raised. My family's still there. Um, some of my testimony of really meeting Jesus happened early on in my college years where I had tons of injuries playing too many sports <laughs> and faced knee surgery after knee surgery. Um, mm. And just, I always start there because what God was teaching me in those moments was to live a life of persevering mm. under trial. And my life first became 2 Corinthians 4, 16 um, through 18. Yeah, wow. At that point in my life where your outward body is wasting away, yet inwardly you're being renewed day by day. But yeah. um, these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for you an mm. eternal weight of glory. And so that really at that point in that pinnacle time in my life was where I thought I was really like having that story and that really changing time in my life where I was going to commit everything to him and life was going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, but it didn't get easier after I really mm. started um, get going in those trenches with Jesus leading the way. Um, there, obviously, there was hardship in many different ways after that. Relationship troubles, um, had troubles with friends and my health, and um, graduated. God was so good in bringing Kevin into my life. We got married quickly after, and then kind of started my motherhood journey pretty quickly after college. We were married when we realized we were both going to pay rent and live in central Pennsylvania. And we mm. just needed to hurry, hurry that process yeah. up because <laughs> we knew we wanted to be together. And um, yeah, and you could talk about the whole Christian college ring before spring thing. We both <laughs> fought hard against that. But the second like you, graduation happened, yeah. <laughs> <we're>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were like, okay, we're ready. In November, after we graduated, we were married, and we have lived here since. Wow. Um, two years after we were married, I had my first little girl, and then very quickly the second, and then mm. very quickly after that the third, and then very quickly after that the fourth. And so, you know, for those, Rose was going to kindergarten when I had Grant, my little boy. So I had four babies under going on seven almost. Wow. Um, and life was full and busy. And I was just stuck in a season of really trying to get out of anxiety, trying to be enough, trying mm. to do the mom comparison thing, um, trying to be the perfect wife when I didn't sleep. And just really, I, I remember praying and praying so often, like, God, take me out of this season of anxiety that I'm in, do something and take this away because I am not thriving right now as a mom that I want to be to my yeah. little kids. And I was just in the trenches. I mean, so many moms are when you got little kids in the middle. Of, I mean, you're just so needed in s such a different way when they're right. all that little. Um, I had no idea that that my prayer would be answered by walking into mm. the hardest season in my life that I would face. Wow. Um but there were a lot of things leading up in those few years before um, Kevin's job had drastically changed. And he kind of had a moment of losing all hope in what he had planned for his life. And I just remember walking through some of those seasons of desperation and then watching come to life um, answers of 
so many prayers that we had in ways that we yeah. never could have imagined because it would be his job change that would allow his life to also change when mine did for him to be able to be the support that I would need to have. Mm. So um, my kids were seven, five and three and about 17 months old when I noticed a little mole on my leg. And it was, you know, through all my pregnancies, I had crazy rashes and I had a really good dermatology team because I needed to be on medication and I needed to be taken care of. So I, I was thankful again, God had already prepared the place to go. And I made that phone call that was in May of 2014 mm. um, that said, I have this little mole that I need to get checked and I'm not really worried about it, but let's move my skin checkup that I had every year. And I went into the doctor and they looked at it and um, it was a teaching hospital. There was probably seven students and a resident and attending and nobody was worried at all about this little mole on my leg. But thank God for his, you know, divine um calling in that moment for that doctor to say, anytime something changes, we're just going to remove it anyway and take a look at what it is. And so they did. And very quickly, um, my pathology came back that it was melanoma. And I remember the doctor calling in shock saying, this is not what we imagined it to be, mm -hmm. um, but this is what it is. And very quickly, my rapidly things started moving. I honestly, I had never heard of melanoma, I'd heard of skin cancer and the different mm. types of skin cancer. I was not aware of the drastic difference between melanoma um, set apart from some of the other skin cancers. And of course, I mean, who doesn't? I Googled it yeah. right away at the hospital that I was being seen. And this whole like video came up about <laughs> stuff you don't want to read when you mm. have no clue what you're about to face. And um you know, but even in that very moment of getting that phone call, I had already felt God's presence so mm. clearly. I think I told you the first time we talked about um, I, I, my minivan story. Did I tell you that? It's just like God just... I think so. Yeah, I think you did. ...shows up in the most... And he's got a sense of humor too, yeah, but not that this that was a humorous us. moment for us. But my husband, you know, I had the little kids and I was driving a big suburban truck and the engine was about to go out and we were like what do we do let's just get a, a minivan for this season like we're the perfect family right we have four little kids let's just do it I've never had a minivan and I had this thing about not having a minivan because <laughs> I just again that's me I'm with you on that too I don't want to be that person that I am yeah but <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather get the massive SUV and yeah I'm totally there <laughs> yeah so my husband literally pulls out of the driveway and while he's picking up the minivan, I'm getting a phone call saying I have cancer. So mm. I do tell moms, I'm like, don't worry, my day getting the minivan was worse than yours, mm. but you can, you can have the minivan. <laughs> um, oh, man. I just, you know, right away, God was like, we're going to do some perspective changing here. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to reorder some wow. things in your life here. We're all over the place and something that I've been working on is about to happen here. Yeah. You know, I have six siblings, so I remember having to make the phone call to my parents and to every one of my siblings and having the same conversation over of tears and crying. And um, it was my older brother that 
answered the phone. And as soon as I told him, he stopped silently and he said, Joe, God is so big and you are so small. Mm. Let's just watch him work. (laughs) And I just thought, gosh, God, you're going to do something with this right away. I don't know. People ask me, how did, how did you have that perspective? How did you know? I think that's the piece that passes understanding. Mm. I just felt this wave of peace come um, over me Mm. and things were already aligning within the first hours of that phone call. But then, like I said, things picked up pretty quickly. I had to have another surgery to remove the original melanoma tumor. And because of the depth of the melanoma, melanoma grows deep into your skin instead of grows across the surface Mm -hmm. of your skin. So I had to have it removed, which is called a wide local excision. And then they also tested my lymph nodes in my groin, um, the sentinel node, which would be the first lymph node that cancer would have traveled if it would have metastasized. So that was the first surgery. Um, Mm. Then a couple, a week later or so, you know, I remember that day. I think God prepared my heart for that day too. um, To say that this isn't all that it's going to be. It's going to be more than this because I think I was... Um, that's my personality, like do this, conquer it, turn the page, do something with it. And I think that I was going to have to go through more than just this Mm. little easy thing. I was really going to have to be broken down. I can look back now and see how that really has benefited my life. Um, so the doctor called and said that the tumor they removed, they had cleared the margins for, but that it had metastasized into my lymphatic system. And so Mm. I, Second was facing tons of scans, brain MRIs, the PET scans, all the things to make sure, you know, it's not in your brain too, or your lungs or all those other places. And then after we got the results that that wasn't the case, I had a second surgery, which was called a complete lymph node dissection of all the lymph nodes in my left groin to take out the nodes there that had cancer and to make sure that the ones surrounding didn't, um, That was a huge surgery. I, you know, I, I knew walking into it, you don't say no to it because it's something you have to do, but I am living now with the lifelong implications of having that surgery that I didn't have a choice whether to have Mm -hmm. or not. Um, You take out like a chain of your, of your gear of your bike chain and you will operate differently when you ride that bike. So my life looks different because of that, but I tell people that's one of the thorns I've been given where God's been able to use that. And, um, wow. I wanted to ask a couple questions real quick before yeah. we step into kind of some more of that, that yeah. season of what you were, um, you mentioned about melanoma being different than the other various types of skin cancer. And you kind of mentioned that, you know, melanoma goes deeper into the, and, and those other skin cancers kind of spread horizontally across the skin. Is that the biggest difference? What was it that you, when you Googled, that day and you saw the video, what were some of the things that you saw? What were you exposed to right there? Um, yeah, uh, it's this wild beast of a cancer that nobody really has a hold on. And now, you know, praise God, I'm about five years out from those days about to hit my five year cancer anniversary. Um, but there's no timeline with melanoma that says once you hit this, you're free of it. Um, mm. There's 
there's no treatment that it responds to. Um, the new immunotherapy drugs that have arisen in the last couple of years are making great progress against fighting melanoma, but it doesn't respond to chemo, mm. doesn't respond to radiation. It's an immune system responsive cancer that responds to your immune system. And uh, I was looking at these statistics from where I sat just in utter shock and awe saying, I'm there's nothing I can do here. This life is completely now out of my hands. Wow. Um, and still to this day, there's not there's not a point that I will reach of fearing that cancer will have no return mm -hmm. in my life. Um, you mm -hmm. know, I there's so many cancers where it's still not a guarantee, but I look again at my life and this one needed to be chosen for me by mm -hmm. God over all the things that he would allow in my life. It needed to be where I would be brought to my knees over and over again for the rest of my life mm -hmm. and depending on him for continued healing and continued trust and continuing to put me down and raise him up on the throne that he needs to be on. I needed mm -hmm. to have the weird unknown cancer that nobody knew a lot about, but wow. I did find somebody who was a specialist in melanoma, especially advanced melanoma, who happened to be a doctor at the University of Pennsylvania, which for us is only about an hour and a half, two hour drive down the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Mm -hmm. So uh, we did find her and she has, I, she's my quarterback, she calls herself, <laughs> of my my life and my not my life, my medical journey. Yeah. Um, she is calling the shots and managing everything still to this day. But I did a with her a year-long um, treatment of a chemo-type drug called Xylotron Interferon that I did weekly for, I lasted about nine months before they had to pull the plug on the drug part of... Um, my healing journey, but uh, we would drive out to Philadelphia every Tuesday. Again, like I said about my husband's job, it had changed and allowed him some freedom. So he would come with me on that day. We would go out and get my labs and come home. I would get my injection. I would take lots of drugs and sleep for about two or three days. And people would watch my kids and manage my house. And I would kind of come back to life on in time for the weekend, which we had planned it purposely that way. Then Kevin was home and I would have, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday before we hit the ground running and did a repeat again for our life. So, wow. man, I can't, I mean, I was going to, that was one of the things I wanted to ask you was you got four young children at home. You've just undergone two surgeries. Now you're going through what was supposed to be a year of chemo treatment. Now I just discovered that you're driving for those, th those treatments. I mean, what was yeah. that like trying to manage all the responsibilities at home as well as your, I mean, your husband must be an absolute saint too. What was his involvement yeah. in all of that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't have a choice, right? When something yeah. like that happens, I mean, our community rallied around us and I could talk about the importance of community in your life for mm. hours, just about, what the purpose in that is and why God calls us to it because you don't know these moments are going to happen to you until they do. And I fought hard against being that person that was needy and needed help. But I, for sure, um, we became the family. We very quickly became 
the yes family, yes, we need your help. I, I fought against it and then just had to surrender all of that. I mean, mm. we had to have a house cleaner for reasons to also keep germs out. I mean, that was a huge yeah. thing. I had four little kids going to preschool and um, I couldn't be around a lot of the germs. So we had a house cleaner and we had a nanny. Mm. Um, I wonder what, what how, how life would look if they were still around, it would still be helpful. <laughs> like, where's the cleaner? Remember that time, Kev? <laughs> we should call her. That was nice. No, we had um, people bring meals. We had, you know, I read this book once about the circles of finding your identity in a friendship in order to help people the right way because not mm. everyone is your inner circle. Right. Um, people, those people were the ones with my kids when I couldn't be, but there were outer circle people that would drop off snacks for my kids and that would offer to do all the things that we you know, the actual needs done. I think that's what makes, you know, my journey a little different and set apart from some others is that I was fighting cancer and raising four kids in the midst of it. And um, as hard as that season was, I I feel like we've parented different. Our kids have mm. a different perspective of the world and the suffering that it can bring and the fragility of life. And there's a lot of conversations we still have today that's, you know, let's be thankful for the day that God gave us. And I think my kids really, um, you know, the younger ones don't remember, but my older two definitely remember the preciousness of life and the yeah. gift that it is that mommy is here at these things. And when they see me crying, when mm. they're at their church programs or playing the violin at their school um, concert, I think they know why those tears flow right. so freely um, and often because of the joy and the thankfulness that we have for the time that God has given us. Mm. Isn't it so, isn't it so uh, sobering to um, to sit down and thank God for the day and to be able to live and breathe and have another day when you have faced the reality of I might not have tomorrow, you know? Yeah. And, and the reality is, is every single one of us, that is reality for us, you know? Right. We, Jesus said, you don't know if you're going to have tomorrow. So right. <laughs> let today's worries, uh, you know, be the only thing that you're taking care of. Don't worry about tomorrow. Um, and we should have that perspective, but it often takes these kinds of situations for us, for that perspective to travel the 18 inches from our head to our heart and us to yeah. truly go, God, thank you for today. I mean, we sit around the dinner table and it's the most precious thing in the world to hear Weston thank mm -hmm. God for a mommy. And thank mm -hmm. God for Natalia. And it's like, that's, that's, that's a different perspective right there. And it's yeah. sobering. Um, you know, when people talk about being thankful or that cancer has been a gift or your journey through suffering has, mm -hmm. I think that's what they're talking about is that right. just being able to proclaim like, yes, God, I will stand in awe of your goodness and you, you and what you have done. Um, mm. I'm going to be thankful for because I have this moment, I, we, you know, I, I think everyone goes through life and is going to have their hard seasons, but until yeah. you get to that point where you actually know and live in life's fragile moments, you're not going to really completely understand the people that can claim God's goodness in the midst of their suffering. Mm -hmm. Joanna, you mentioned earlier about your battle with anxiety before you got this cancer yeah. diagnosis. I imagine your perspective on anxiety is a bit different. Can you try to explain that? 
Um, the things that you were battling with beforehand, can you explain maybe a different perspective that you see on those things? Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm busy. Um, I think that's the athlete in me is like handle my anxiety mm. by running six miles and then come back and do life. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> totally, totally there. I'm like, yeah. I need to go get a workout in and then I'll come back and finish this. <laughs> yes. And then I can like survive my day. Cause yeah. I just output it all my energy, my right. anxiety into right. this thing. Well, when <laughs> your physical body fails you, mm. um, you, meet a whole different side of who you are and who mm. God can allow you to be through that. Um, yeah, I think that's that wasting away and my life verse coming back through my cancer story was like God saying, remember when you said all this, do you really believe and trust that? Because mm. if you're, you know, I, I don't, was it an idol? Maybe my physical ability and strength to be able to do that and handle my anxiety in my own ways and not have to depend on God to be the one that was handling my anxiety yeah. and my worry. Um, I think also my perspective changed just in, in life. Like my anxiety before was about getting all the little things done or all of the overwhelming things that life brought. But mm. when all of that was taken away and I realized that my whole entire identity and mindset was changed to a heaven one. Mm. My anxiety started to pale in comparison to the day-to-day -day things and instead looking forward with hope to what is coming instead of what I have sitting right here in front of me yeah. that is overwhelming and hard. And yeah, mm. I don't know. I think too, when you realize like what you said, like you're completely out of control with this diagnosis. Yeah. You know, this is not something that you can muster up. And, and it was not like your response was, you know what, we're going to beat this. Right. It was not this like out of your own sufficiency, out of your own, you know, strength, were you going to kind of, right. all right, Joanna Strong, that kind of thing. No, that's not what this right. was about. This was uh, you're completely on your face before the Lord, dependent on him and when you're in that space where you recognize that you really are out of control, there's something about anxiety subsiding in that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like anxiety happens often when we feel out of control and yet we are still grasping for control. Right. Rather than realizing, wait a minute, I am out of control of these certain things. Now there are mm -hmm. things I can control and anxiety also happens when you don't control the things that you can control. Right. But, but in, these, in this realm of the stuff that we're out of control, it's like, no, I really am out of control and I have to place my trust, my true tr trust, again, not just my like head trust, my true heart trust in the hands of the Father who really is in control of this. There's something yeah. that, uh, that begins to erode that anxiety. Yeah, I mean, still to this day, I, if you would have asked me before, I, I could have told you what I was doing six months from now on a Tuesday at 3 p.m., and now I don't, I don't live my life like that anymore. I, I'm thankful that we have today. I mean, it drives some of my friends absolutely crazy. <laughs> um, but we we don't plan anymore. We we hope and we plan with expectancy good things. I'm not saying that we're like hopeless and it doesn't matter. But we just are thankful more for the season that we're in. And I don't look past something that isn't reality. I think my grieving process through all of this 
once I realized what was hitting me so hard was all of my hope being set in something that was never really promised to me anyway, which was being physically strong and being not having a cancer story. And, and I realized, oh my gosh, like I'm mourning something that wasn't even my life. This is my life. God did yeah. not mess up here. He's not surprised today like right. I am. Um, yeah. And as I started peeling back all the layers of things that he had been working towards my whole life to set up just walls around us of protection for the season that we would be in. I really was like, for, forget it. Why? <laughs> mm. This is what it's supposed to be. And so I'm going to glorify him in it and with it. And he has chosen me out of all of these people. And, you know, the the loneliness has come, but also with that, just that my my life has been put on display for God's mm. glory to be seen with it. And so how with that can can I not say, okay, God, surrender. Finally, you got me this time. Mm. This, this life is yours. Man. Do with it what you will please wow. for you. So, oh. Hey friends, if you didn't catch last week's episode, then you wouldn't know. We brought back Chris Hewerts and asked him to be our November bonus episode for our monthly partners. We continued our conversation about the Enneagram, which I know all of you are beginning to love by now, but we dove even deeper into belonging and how it relates to our Enneagram types. If you're interested in knowing more about the Enneagram and how it can be used as a tool in your life, you won't want to miss this bonus episode. Simply head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners and sign up to make a recurring tax-deductible donation of $5, $10, or $20 a month to access Chris's bonus episode and many more. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Listen now to a clip from his bonus episode. To cast a great light in the world simultaneously requires we cast a, a long shadow that you can't run from it. And, and this mm. is where we get confused. I, I think a lot of folks who grew up or were socialized in historic Christian faith traditions actually think your false self is your shadow. Well, your, your, your shadow isn't your false self. Your shadow is just where you park the things that you don't want to deal with. It's where you park the things that you don't want to contend with. And so, yes, a mm. lot of those things are maybe the the, the, the least attractive bits of ourselves or the least tidy up portions of our, 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 our egos or our, our, our spiritual self. But it's also important that what's in our shadow be incorporated into our, our consciousness. important was that phone call with your brother that struck me when you called your brother and he was like your older brother right that's who that was yeah. and he said yep. hey god's really big and we're gonna watch and you're really small just having somebody right there to to step into that moment with you how instrumental was that for you in that moment i mean i i tell people that now that call me and tell me that phone call that they got mm. i think it has it has really like even theologically <laughs> my whole life thinking 
God is so big, what his sovereign plan and hit, you know, victory's already been won through what yeah. God has done. And our circumstances are not going to change that. I think that has been a, a huge, um, just a place to rest in, in all the things that have come even since then. And just looking forward to the future that whatever comes, God is bigger. Yeah. And, you know, knowing our smallness, knowing our weakness, I mean, that's where <laughs> you don't want to get to that place. But yeah. I tell everybody, I mean, that's the place when you finally fall down at his feet where he begins to mm. use your life. And so well, why are we all afraid of insufficiency and weakness when that's exactly where God will use us when we finally get to that point? So, yeah. um, That's so good. What I love about what he did too right there is that he... Um, he didn't try to just take on your burden himself and figure out, okay, how can I make you feel better with the right words or the right, you know, phrases or the right, or, you know, he literally, I, I think he, it's like he deflected it completely over to the Lord. He's yeah. like, Hey, listen, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that the Lord knows, you know, yeah, it's like that, that old adage, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. That's right. <laughs> and 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 I and we can together, Joanna, we can trust the Lord. So let's look to him. Let's trust him. And I'm mm -hmm. like, that is a picture right there of of ministry. That's it. Yeah. You know, oftentimes you're in ministry or if you're helping people, if you're and you know this with leading ministry, where you start feeling the burden of other people's pain and you start feeling yeah. the burden, and you're like, I don't know how I can handle it. I don't know how I can take this. I don't know how I can and the Lord's like, Well, I never built you to bear that burden. I built you to be a mirror and just deflect it over to me. Show people that I'm the one that can carry that burden for them. Cast your cares yeah. on him because he cares for you. Right. And your brother, right. I mean, that just stood out to me. I was like, man, that's amazing. And I, I hope for, and I, I covet for everyone who's listening that they have, uh, what's your brother's name? Justin. That they have a Justin in their life. Yes. We can go, hey, listen, together, let's go, let's go to the Lord with this. We have no yeah. idea what the future holds. But we know that he holds the future. Yeah. Um, so, so what happened? You were, you're in this year of, uh, trying to recover your, after your surgeries. Um, when did you, I mean, what, what began to, did it begin to heal, progress? Like what happened within that year? Uh, with my cancer yeah. wise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, so they say melanoma is no evidence of disease. Um, once it's taken out of your body and then you're scanned, you know, I'm at the doctor still often for scans every six months and labs and, you know, making sure that it's not there, that there's no evidence of it. And then you're supposedly the longer out is better for you, but there's no guarantee wow. of that ever coming back or not. Um, so my healing journey has, has been a miracle. I mean, the best part of it is to hear my kids talk about, um, when someone asks them, have you ever seen God heal someone? Or have you ever seen a miracle here on earth? And for your own kids to talk about mm -hmm. your life being that witness to them. I mean, I think I, I, I have mourned that too, that I was the one that brought the suffering mm -hmm. into their life and the hardship. Cause as a mom, you don't want to do that, but I've seen the most beautiful things start in their little testimonies yeah. of wow. their lives through that too. So yeah, it's, it's, that that year, and then I would say the year after, um, was just me trying to get better when, you know, to be selfish 
when you're a mom, you're not selfish. It was really hard to be selfish and say, I need to be selfish now so that I have moments later with you. So I need to take care of myself. It's no one wants to take care of themselves before they take care of their people. Mm. Um, But yeah, in that season, lots of uh, little things started happening around us. Um, God was, you know, doing a lot of things, preparing me. I like, uh, our pastor preached on Daniel, or I mean, David, a couple weeks ago about the anointing that happened um, mm. in that season where nobody knew it was happening. And that's when his anointing was happening for the ministry yeah. that he would be called to in the place that God would put him. And I slept a lot, but I also read a lot mm. and I prayed a lot and I blogged a lot of my journey and my story for my kids to be able to read. And um, during those times where I sat alone in my bed, I met Jesus for the first time, just me and him. And so for those moments that we all have, you know, like people talk about the waiting and the waiting feels like forever. And what are you waiting for? And what are we waiting on? I think that those waiting seasons in our life are where our heart is being prepared for what God is going to call us to. So I needed to go through what I had to go through for what God was going to ask me to do next. And I couldn't see that when I was in it. Um, who likes to be sick and on drugs and in pain? Nobody. But what it was doing to my heart was allowing me to sit at a place where I was going to start ministering to people who are sitting in those places. Mm. And so I had to go through those days myself yeah. with God where he was, you know, refining my heart um, yeah. in those moments. Well, you you know, we we kind of know this intuitively that we don't ever want to follow somebody who's never been where they're trying to lead us. Right. And we know ultimately Jesus has been everywhere that he's trying to lead us. You know, I love Psalm 23 where he leads us beside still waters, you know, yeah. but then he also leads us into the valley of the shadow of death. He's been there. He knows it. He understands right. it, but he uses us as agents to lead other people as well. And mm-hmm. he's allowing you in these moments, these sweet, sacred, and yet excruciating moments to journey that so that eventually you'd be able to help other people and be a guide for them. When did that begin yeah. to spark for you where you kind of realized, wait a minute, I want to, I want to do something about this for other people. Um, I, I remember so clearly the first time I had that, that vision from God, it was so clear. I mean, we're driving an hour and a half out to the hospital you're in an oncology hospital, so you know everyone in there. It's not like when you go to a doctor's and you don't know if somebody needs stitches or cancer. Like you knew everyone in that place mm-hmm. that we walked into every day was probably in the hardest season of their life. And I was mm-hmm. sitting right there with these people. I, I mean, it took a long time for, I mean, I still walk through the doors like, what is, whose life is this? Yeah. But I remember so clearly sitting there with my husband and there were tears in the room and it was so full that day. There were so many people sitting in that waiting room and God just was like opened the blinders on my eyes and said, Joe, look around you. You're not here for you. (laughs) Mm. 
you're here for me. I am calling you to this place and you are walking right into the midst of it in your Uh own pain because that's where I need you to be. That's why you're here for me. That was a, a, a turning point change in my journey. And that was very early on that that happened. Um, So I started very, you know, slowly realizing that this was going to be more than like me fighting cancer and trying to get better, that that I was going to be called into that place every week, that I was going to be sitting in that place with these people um, for me to give a testimony of of God in that place that is so desperate and Mm. so hard and that I'm going to be in for a really long time mm-hmm. too, still to this day that I'm still going to revisit very often. Wow. So that, re- that reminds me of the story of Joseph where he finds himself in the prison, you know, after having been falsely accused of trying to take advantage of Potiphar's wife and he's there for a long time. And I imagine he had a similar experience right there where it was like, Hey, you're not, this isn't for you. This is for the cupbearer and the baker and for the then ultimately millions of other people that you're going to rescue from the famine. That right. but it was in those that deep, dark dungeon of a cell that, you know, he's in these spaces where he's it's so easy to turn your own pain around on it being you. But Joanna, what you saw right there is this vision, this picture, God opened up this picture for you to help you realize this pain is not about you. He cares for you in your pain. Your pain matters, but it's not about you. It's about what then is going to be turned around to help other people. And this is, I mean, Joanna, this is the message of nothing is wasted. This is why I geeked out so much when you wrote in. I'm like, (laughs) this is what it's about right here. It's about... It's about finding purpose in your pain or uncovering, Mm -hmm. discovering the purpose that God has built for your pain, but it comes from recognizing this isn't about me. Mm -hmm. This is about what God can do in other people's lives through this. However long I'm here on earth and whatever, in whatever capacity he deems this to be, I'm going to use this, this pain, turn it around and not waste it and, and help so many other people to, to come to the Father to experience the love and the healing and the redemption of Jesus. This is what right. redemption is. Paul, right. Paul Young, who wrote The Shack. Now, mm-hmm. I know in Christian circles, yeah. it's an unbelievably <laughs> controversial thing to talk about The Shack. But he, he said something, I don't remember if it was in The, in the Shack or if it was somewhere else I read, where he defined redemption. And that is that redemption is not, and I'm paraphrasing, but that it, redemption doesn't happen in someone's story until they decide to use their pain to help somebody else, to restore somebody else. Right. That's redemption. Right. It's not this like, oh, God healed me or he brought something brought something back into my life. You know, people often say this about my story. They'll be like, wow, God has redeemed your story by bringing you a wife. No, he redeemed my story the second I was able to help somebody else in their pain. Mm-hmm. That's the redemption. Because, and it keeps going and yes. going and going. And then it continues. And so there's there's this ripple effect, this, mul- this multiplication of redemption that happens that if we would get our eyes up out of it, I know it's hard. I mean, when you're going through cancer treatments and you're zapped, your your whole body is completely wasting away, you're... you're 
you're extremely discouraged and frustrated and tired and exhausted. You don't, you don't want to have a good attitude when you walk in there. You don't want to be light when you walk in there. Right. But if somehow we could allow the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts in such a way that it gets us up out of our own pain and begins to look upon the pain of other people and saying, you know what? In my greatest misery, I can have my greatest misery or ministry right here. Right. You know? Yeah. That's yeah, what you did. That's, that's, that's incredible. And you're continuing to do that because then this developed into something else. Tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, well, there were a lot of little things, but I always tell the story about the day that I got this package on my doorstep. Um, and it was unlike anything else because when you're in the small community and you're the mom with cancer and everyone's helping you, you kind of know who the people are that are mm. doing everything. The cards that are getting sent were signed and people that were offering to do something we're signing up for a meal or whatever, but this package came anonymously. And so like this detective inside of me had to figure out <laughs> who sent this, who is this from? It looked like an Etsy box. Some, one of my friends must've bought this really mm-hmm. cute, sunshiny, like hope filled scripture or all over yellow package. That was just beautiful and encouraging. Um, so I, I did my detective work and I found Um, out the person's name from the post office who had sent it and used good old Facebook to stalk this woman in Parma, Ohio named Jenny Duncan, who I really say started Radiant Hope. But I sent her a Facebook message kind of giving her an out like, I know someone bought this from your Etsy store, but I was just wondering who it was so I could thank them. (laughs) And she very quickly responded, you weren't supposed to know it was me, first of all. (laughs) Secondly just went on about how she heard of my story through my blog, through a friend of a friend, and she had been reading about my kids and my husband and praying for us. And she's like, I'm in Ohio and I couldn't do anything. So I just decided like we would pray for your family and collect a bunch of uplifting things and just send you this sunshine package to brighten your day. Wow. And I was floored, floored that someone was praying for my family that didn't even know us. Um, halfway across the country. And that's the day the vision for Radiant Hope, I tell people, really started um, when we started realizing that, and I say we, it was a group of my close girlfriends. And Mm. obviously my husband and my mom was here a lot on and off since I didn't have any family here. So I had people staying here often from my family. But we all kind of started thinking, how can we do this for other People. I heard Catherine and Jay Wolf talk mm. once about in their story how the sixth stage of grief is when you start giving to others a part mm. of your story and going outside of yourself. And that's where the healing of your soul really begins to happen. That's great. And I think for me, looking back, it was a gift that God was giving me to be able to start thinking of someone other than myself in the midst of this. I hated always being the center of attention and everyone's so concerned about me. No one would ask about Kevin. Mm. (laughs) How are you doing? I would walk into the hospital and everyone would swarm, but no one would ask him how he was doing. Um, So I I think that it kind of started as this tender God's kindness saying, Mm. now you can start using this for other people. And so I would start going to the hospital and bring little gifts for people and start praying with people and just tell them that, I saw them and I was with them and I knew the journey because I was in it too. And so it just started slowly as this little gift giving sort of uh, 
ministry that I was doing very minimal when I was in those places with people that also needed it. Um, Then we kind of had a following kind of come underneath us and start donating so that we could send little packages to people. And we originally started with just a lot of people in a lot of different hard A woman that was a good friend of a friend had was going through a divorce and we just thought, gosh, that's such a hard thing. Let's like encourage her, send her an anonymous little, we're thinking about you package and drop it off at her doorstep. So we started doing that and realized, you know, everyone, every day, everywhere probably needs a sunshine package at some point in their life. But that we were specifically being called into the the cancer world Mm. because of that just being tender to our heart and the places that I was walking in. So we kind of curtailed it to that and we started getting people that wanted to help and donate. And we sat down and decided let's that this is clearly what God is calling us into this pathway. And he's making this a little ministry. So we started the 501 C three and named it radiant hope. Mm. And you know, where, where it says those who look to him will be radiant with joy. Wow. And we started by just sending care packages to cancer survivors in the midst of their journey and to caregivers who were caring for someone mm. who had cancer. And that was the original sort of start of it and started getting people to join our leadership team. And um, we set our foundation on just loving others the way that we were loved first. And then, Second Corinthians one, where it just talks about comforting others in the way which you were comforted and just knowing that God was bringing all these things to my life and ways of showing me comfort that I believe he was doing that whole year that I went through it so that I could sort of mimic that in our ministry Mm. to impact the lives of the other people going through it. I mean, we had a, we had a, an emergency room at a local hospital do our Christmas the year that I was sick for my little kids. And I remember thinking, this is so ridiculous. Like, this is not what Christmas is about. My kids are fine. They could get nothing and we could be together. And we would be so content this in this season that we're in. And I just remember the nurse saying, well, your family was already chosen and you don't have a choice and we're going to do your Christmas for you. So I'm going to work with your husband and you're going to have no part in it. And <laughs> I didn't. And that, you know, my kids won't remember because they were so little, but me and Kev will remember that that was the most ridiculous, extravagant Christmas that my children ever had. Wow. But now we do a Christmas for a family every year that has a parent in treatment and we get to work with the caregiver, whoever it is. And this last Christmas, we went shopping for her husband and a spot him gifts and things that she wouldn't have been able to do because the family was flying out to MD Anderson. So I I do believe there were a lot of little things like that in my journey. And now I'm like, that's why that happened. That happened so that we could do that for other people who are in greater need. But the whole thing was laid out and we walked through it because it was us. So we know how to do it and how to walk in those trenches and how to ask those questions and work with someone in that. And so there were there were little things like that that started, you know, setting up our our plan um, for yeah. what kind of, you know, what our ministry would look like, and just to instill hope into a hopeless place, and right. to listen well to the cancer community, um, the people going through it. 
I feel mm. like you have, you know, for me, I had my doctors and I had my naturopath working with me in complementary medicine. And I had my counselor and I had all, all of the people and all of the things. Um, but sometimes you just need somebody that can stand next to you and say they get it and they're yeah. walking in life with you in it. Um, so that was my heart and passion for Radiant Hope is to build that community up around people that says we know and we see you. And I say that our packages that we sent plant a seed of, of hope that they're not the be all end all. But mm. with that comes, I don't know, a lot of awesome things that I see God doing. We're just at the very beginning of this. So, yeah. Wow. And I'm an eight in the Enneagram, right? <laughs> so I have all the plans yep, for what God's going to do. <laughs> and I already see it happening because he's so good. So. That's awesome. Man, Joe, your story is remarkable. And what you've done out of it is uh, even more remarkable. Um, what, what would you say is, um, you know, just kind of like some closing thoughts on you mentioned a couple things about how you saw God preparing all of this. As you look back over all of this, what are some things that you have learned about God, about how he interacts with us, about what he's inviting us into? Um, mm. how, how have you just seen the thread of God's story through your story? It, it's awesome to look back over my life and see how perfectly he has called me into the places that he's called me. And all of the times that I can look back at my life and say, that was so hard to know that those hard moments fast forwarded my faith mm -hmm. in him and trust in him coming out of those seasons. And I know people are sitting right now in seasons that they don't see any place coming out of that are hard and they're in the trenches of it. But, you know, God is so good in those moments and he's yeah. doing something in those moments that we don't see him working. Um, I, I have had this journey of faith and trust in my whole life. Mm. Um, but it's those seasons that I really were in the trenches with God that I was able to be able to surrender all of my trust and and give my life to him more fully that that's where, you know, where it says now it springs forth. Don't you see it? Like mm -hmm. I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the, the desert that, that without those dry seasons, he can't, well, he can do anything, but without those dry seasons, we can't see the yeah. fruit that comes out from that. So wow. I know that his grace is sufficient and I know, you know, the promises I think I had to be so steeped in those promises that he is good and he is doing something. Um, or so many times where I think we are afraid to really dig in the trenches with mm. Jesus because we're afraid of what he really might say to us. But I think when we do, we really meet a God who is sovereign and who is in control and who is over everything and, and our lives, you know, as hard as it is to think about, I think for me, it was the the best thing to realize is that my life is just this teeny little reflection of who God is mm -hmm. for such a great bigger purpose for what he's already done. I mean, the victory's already been won. You know, he's, he's already won us and crushed Satan. And mm -hmm. we can just reflect, reflect with our 
lives, a little piece of that. And that's hard to get to, but that's the best place to rest in the freedom of knowing Jesus is that what's coming is better than where we are now and to put our hope and trust in vision of the future and not where we sit today. So it's cancer that got me there, but it's yes to God that allowed him to use my life Mm. um, in the ways that he wants to. I think we all have a choice, right? Like we don't get to choose what happens to us, but we get to choose if we're going to reflect Jesus with the story that he's given to us. So I, I think, you know, yeah, it was a really hard time and it's still really hard. And I'm ministering in a place that I go to still myself. And I'm trying to talk to people and hear stories and, and then go into a, an appointment with my own doctor still yeah. to this day. So I, you know, I'm still in those trenches with those people, but I wouldn't be able to have that voice had I not gone in those places. So, you know, my encouragement to people is wherever you are, it's perfectly designed by God for him to use you where you're at. And I think that's the special and unique thing about each of us is that our stories stand apart from one yeah. another and we're each being called to a different place Davey, I wouldn't have been able to walk in your shoes. And I look at your story saying, I have no idea how you would ever do that. But God didn't give me what he's given you to walk Mm. in the story that he's called you to and vice versa. So God will equip us for what he calls us to. um, And he will give us the sufficient needs to be able to do his work in those places. Yeah. I think it's so um, fitting that you and your husband, but specifically you and your story, you were an athlete because an athlete, you know, musters up um, kind of a power that's sometimes it's beyond Mm -hmm. themselves. It feels like you get in the zone or your adrenaline's pumping. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, people often ask and they say the same things. I don't know how you've gone through what you've gone through. I'm sure they do the same thing for you. We always look at somebody else's story and we're like, man, because people I'm interviewing all the time, like, I have no idea how you've gone through what you've gone through. But the simple (laughs) fact of the matter is, is that the Holy Spirit resides in each of us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Lives Um, inside of you and me. He lives in us. And so, yes, we could and we can, not by our own strength, but by the power of Jesus in us. And these journeys are just taking us into a deeper understanding of what that is, to lean into his strength, to lean into his power, and to lean into um, the redemption that he wants to write in each one of our stories. So, man, Joanna, thank you so much. Where can people follow you? Where can they get more information if they want to send one of these, um, what are they called, Hope Box? What are they called? Yeah, these, pack. I mean, we just call them packages. Packages, but, yeah. Like, um, tell us about where people can get yeah, connected well, with you guys. Right now, we're we're kind of sending them just to our local community. We started nationwide, and mm-hmm. we, wow, I mean, <laughs> we couldn't keep up with Got the influx of, yeah, unfortunately, the amount wow. of people getting cancer diagnosis. So we've scaled back a little bit to our local counties here in yeah. mostly the state of Pennsylvania, and you know, we're gonna start little chapters. We have one in Philadelphia already, and we Mm. hope to grow by having chapters like us here planted throughout the country because I can't impact your local community and I can't go and sit with the people in the hospital where you're at. And so we serve at Hope Lodge and we visit hospitals um, and we hope to kind of set that up so that other people could do the same. But you can find us on our website, hisradianthope.org. 
and okay. our Instagram, the same, His Radiant Hope. Awesome. Where you can follow us and you can find me on there. I have separate stuff with Joanna Denstadt and you can find me too and contact me. I love to talk to people. I think of everyone on our leadership team. I get the privilege and the honor to be the one that gets to say, I know to the people mm -hmm. that we serve as the survivor. And we have caregivers that uh, meet a different need, but that now I say is an honor and a gift to be able to sit in that seat with people. Um, mm. So yeah. Wow. Well, Thanks we'll for having me. I feel yeah. humbled to share this story that <laughs> we're so honored to have you. God is doing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, I'm gonna pray that it continues to push out and impact more and more people and that you guys are, um, you're, you're intersecting people at a really, really vulnerable place and that the gospel pushes out and you see many people come to know the Lord because of it. Yes. Thank so, you. Yep. Thank you so much, Joanna. Thanks for Thanks. joining me. Thank you. Wow, that was great, Joanna. Yes, I'm it super was proud such a good her. interview. Super proud of her. She just had this humble countenance about her too, where she was just like, man, I can't believe I get to do what I get to do to help people in this. And to be in the midst of your own trial and to recognize, wow, the reason I'm in this is to help people. Mm. That right there, I'm going to tell you, that, that'll that lift you up out of, you know, it'll, it'll give you a new perspective. It'll lift you up out of your pain. When you just go, you know what? I'm not in this for, this isn't about me. Well, do you mm. remember what her big brother said to her when she mm. called to tell him that she Oof. had cancer? Um, you, God is big and you are not. And that, that struck me. I will definitely be saving that one. So. Well, that is the message to everybody who's listening to this. And so we want to thank you guys for listening. We want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing the music and, um, Man, you guys go listen to all of his music anywhere where you can download or stream music. And uh, I can't wait for next week's interview. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be so good. We got a special treat for y'all. Special treat, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. You know, this is Chuck Swindoll's daughter. I don't know if you guys mm -hmm. know who Chuck Swindoll is, but I've I always do, yeah. been a huge fan of Chuck Swindoll. So yeah, we get to hear same. from his daughter next week. Why don't you take a listen to this little clip from that interview? I think we um, focus on our circumstances and there's this idea that if my circumstances are good, then, then life is good. Hmm. When really the Lord is, uses our circumstances as symptoms to deeper problems, which are part of transforming our souls. Hmm. So I had believed if I do this and God does that, then life is supposed to look like this. And part of reframing ministries came about because the picture that I had for life completely fell apart when I went through my divorce. Yeah. Um, and I will say with my son as well, he was diagnosed at three with intellectual disability, which used to be called mental retardation. Mm. It's now IBD and autism. And then I put him in every therapy that I knew to do and provided the diets and did every single thing in order for him to get better, which as I unpack this for you, that was more about me wanting to fix him hmm. than accepting that the Lord had allowed me to have a child with disabilities for life. 
So when he was seven, he regressed significantly and was diagnosed then with OCD, ODD, ADHD, Tourette syndrome, anxiety. Um, And the neurologist just looked at me and said, he's gonna be the work of 10 children. 